0: It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That we start with an earthquake, first take an airplane, so many fruits not afraid. I have a forte. Fredean- the world with your own needs. your own it up Got no with the fear fight down. fire in the fire. we of the gang. the government for hire in the combat site. wasn't coming in there, down your neck. The border traffic the problem with that low plane flying them overflow, the corner of the city. The devil's with the world, you see your heart. Tell me that the are in the river, the the right. you you got to you you've of it, you've got it, it, you've it, you know it, 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 the end of the world, as we know it, I
1: Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the end of the world as we know it no this is actually the hour of doom hey friends and neighbors this is the doom and bloom survival medicine hour an awesome hour of honor in an onerous world i'm joe alton md also known as dr bones of doomandbloom.net where you'll find close to 700 posts videos and podcasts on medical preparedness For any disaster I'm a man on a mission And that's to put a medically prepared person In every family For any catastrophe And you know what My lovely wife Nurse Amy Is also normally on this show However she is on vacation Right now She is still the hostess With the mostess in my mind So let's move on Hey friends and neighbors Have you been injured in an accident With a bodacious badger Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only. Do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings and no provider-patient relationship. Exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge your audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Now that said, we're here to help if it isn't. What's up, says the doc. We learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with us. It is easy. Here normally would be Nurse Amy, but here am I, haha, to tell you how. Well, you can contact us by email at dr bones podcast That's dr at aol.com or find us on facebook at our group survival medicine dr bones nurse amy also doom and bloom is one of our pages and also dr bones nurse amy is another one of our pages and all of that is on facebook you can follow us also however on twitter at Prepper Show, and don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr Bones Nurse Amy. Dr Bones Nurse Amy. Not to mention our video cast with the great folks at AroundTheCabin.com. Wow, that is quite a lot, actually. But not all. Our website at DoomAndBloom.net has more medical information than you can shake a stick at. Check out our articles in leading magazines like Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, Prepare a Survivalist, Prepper and Shooter. Gosh, a links. From a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the internet. And if you haven't gotten a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, well, you made a mistake because you know what? You're going to get a head start in any disaster or epidemic with all sorts of important tips that will keep your family healthy. And you know what? Our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, is all in plain old English. Imagine that. So put old Dr. Bones, that lovely nurse Amy, in your survival library. Head to Amazon.com, get a copy personally autographed to you, if you'd like, by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And if you love your Kindle almost as much as your collection of Sex and the City DVDs, well, then there's something wrong with you. But, well, you can find our book on Amazon in digital version as well. If you bought the Survival Medicine Handbook, as a matter of fact, second edition from Amazon.com, you can get a Kindle copy for only $2.99 through its Matchbook program. Check it out and over 205-star reviews at Amazon.com. Now, you know, we're going to have a special guest, Glenn Tate, a famous author, and he is actually going to be interviewed by... The person that you thought was going to be missing today, that's Nurse Amy. You're actually going to be hearing from her more this show than you'll hear from me. Glenn Tate is an attorney, and uh, by the way, that's not his real name. He works in a field in which he gets to see government work and corruption close up. And he has taken upon himself to write an ambitious 10-book series called 299 Days. And I think you'll like what he has to say now, Nurse Amy's provocative interview with Glenn Tate.
2: Well, hey, Glenn. Are you there?
3: I sure am. Thanks for having me, Nurse Amy.
2: Oh, you are very, very welcome. And if you get to say the nurse part, it's okay.
3: <laughs> okay, so just Amy. We're, okay, we're, cool. We're,
2: we're friends. We're friends. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, we recently celebrated Independence Day, which is normally um, a really happy occasion for everyone. Uh, You don't have to buy gifts for each other. It's sort of a family get-together, and you just enjoy each other and and eat and hang out and appreciate the fact that we have a free country. But I, I read an article that you wrote, and I'd really like you to kind of talk to people a little bit about it, and it was called... Why the 4th of July Means Nothing to Me, America, and that's with a C-A, versus America with a K-A. So can you talk to um, our listeners a little bit about that article?
3: Yeah, it, it really pained me to write this because up until recently, I considered myself to be very patriotic. And by that, I don't just mean waving a flag around and being like Homer Simpson, you know, and saying, USA, I mean... It, it meant something to me because I know about the history of the United States and and I know the goodness, obviously not perfection, but nothing's perfect. And I grew up in the seventies and eighties and America was a pretty doggone good place. And I saw with my own eyes, goodness. I saw people that, that built businesses and that had good jobs and uh, people were by and large decent. Um, again, I'm generalizing a lot, but I mean, it's, True, and they they were decent, and things were good, and America was unquestionably the greatest country on earth um, in every measure. Uh, you know, morally, I believe, especially compared to the then Soviet Union, um, uh, economically, militarily, culturally, um, it, was a, it was a really good gig we had going on. So, and I attribute a lot of that to a relatively high amount of of freedom, and it's not just because we're we're just awesome because being American means greatness. I mean, you know, there's a reason behind it and that's the history and the freedom and a constitutional republic and, and all those things. And so, um, that's gone away. It's vanished. It is no more. And I look around now, uh, Obamacare, the Kardashians, like, why would I even care about that? I mean, you know, uh, culturally, uh, I don't even have to go the laundry list. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, politically, um, two ridiculous parties that are virtually identical that, you know, are are <laughs> kind of run by the same people. And by the way, I'm in the political business. I actually know what I'm talking about on this. And uh, all these horrible things, the civil liberties have been eroded. Um, everybody understands that. I mean, if they're listening to this show, they probably don't think that America is an awesome place to be here. Now, here's the thing. You say things like America is not an awesome place, And some people, a handful of people, and (laughs) some of the comments um, on my Facebook page when I put this up, were basically assuming, I don't think they read the article, by the way. I think they were starting to assume that if, and I had a graphic of a flag flying upside down, and you say something like, why the 4th of July means nothing to me. A lot of people jumped to the conclusion that I must be some flag-burning hippie, you know, who hates America, because there are plenty of people in this country that fit that description. They're not all hippies, by the way. I mean, They come in, in, you know, (laughs) all stripes and walks of life, including some, you know, elite, uh, very wealthy people, I think, despise this country. So um, it's not that. And the point I made in the article was I miss America, and with a C. And I described all the good things about America with a C. And I really do miss America. By the way, that's one of the the lines that is is spray-painted, and the patriots in my book series, um, they spray-paint it, and it's a very inspirational message. It's really taken off. There's T-shirts, there's stickers. I mean, I get pictures from people all over the world, you know, in their I Miss America shirts. So it really resonates with people. So I miss good America, America with a C. And I said, what I hate is America with a K. And what I mean by that is, you know, the Kardashian stuff, the Obamacare all the stuff we're talking about. And so to me, when I see people waving around a flag on 4th of July, um, that flag to me represents... America with a K, that is to say, current America. Because most of the people out there going to a Fourth of July parade and waving the flag around, they don't really know anything about good America. I mean, they might not have lived through it, um, so they might not ever have known it, but they certainly don't walk around thinking about Thomas Jefferson all day long. I mean, you know who Thomas Jefferson was. And so most people, the sheeple, I, I call them, I try not to rip on people and be derisive but most people in this country the general population they're they're clueless and they just think sort of like that homer simpson thing i was mentioning you know usa usa with a big foam finger right and that's you know they're just chanting for some basically like sports team and that's what america's become and to the, the masses not everybody and so my point was america with a k especially with the gigantic government that we have doesn't do much for me, (laughs) uh, to put it mildly. And when I see those flags and the fireworks of the Uncle Sam, you know, costumes and people at parades, that to me represents America with a K. And I'm, I'm done, you know, with 4th of July as a big, you know, big, meaningful, philosophical event. Now, I have a, I have a blast on 4th of July. I'm, part Indian, and so I go to the reservation and get the brother discount on some Class C explosives that would blow your mind, and so I do enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy <laughs> that a lot. I have a few cold beverages, and I enjoy some barbecued meats and that sort of thing. So I, I have a great time. I spend it with my family. I mean, I enjoy the holiday aspect of it, but as far as Fourth of July or Independence Day, meaning some big celebration of freedom and a constitutional republic and all that other stuff... I'm not seeing it. I've seen it in the past. It's been true in the past, and I want it to be true in the future. But in the present, America with a K is not worth celebrating. And so I put that out there. I was I was stunned at the number of shares and the number of views. um uh, reached, like, I think, 50,000 people or something like that on Facebook. A lot of people were commenting saying, I feel exactly like you. Some people, as I say, were basically saying, you know, you, you, you say you're such a patriot, how can you say you don't love the 4th of July? And I tried to explain these things and didn't go well with, with some of the people I was trying to talk to. Um, and they, you know, to be honest, it was a small minority, the, the folks that just will not accept any criticism of America, no matter what condition America is in,
0: mm-hmm. those
3: folks bother me quite a bit because if you're just, if if you're rooting for Obamacare and the Kardashian sisters, you're not on the same wavelength I'm on. And and, and to to then say that I'm somehow not American or not patriotic, um, you know, and I think about this. I think about my grandfather who fought extremely heroically in World War II and was a real American, um, by the way, um, an American Indian, uh, totally awesome man. You know, he wouldn't have done what he did for the Kardashian sisters or for Obamacare. He wouldn't have done any of that. He's an Oklahoma Indian right? I mean, that says a lot, and so it's not (laughs) disloyal to say current America sucks, and America used to be great, and here's how, and here's why, and I want America back, freedom, and all that other stuff. So anyway, it was was an amazing reaction, and it really resonated with people, and uh, I was very glad um, that so many people understood what I was saying, and the the people who didn't understand what I was saying were, were the extreme minorities. So I think it really touched a lot of people, because I you think know, a lot of people feel that way, which is one of the reasons the I Miss America message from the books has stunned me at how it's taken off. So I miss America with a C, and I do not like America with a K.
2: Well, I, I completely understand, and I think you have to be of a certain age to be able to have that reflection. Uh, unfortunately, these, I don't want to call them children, but these children, children basically who are early 20s they don't have anything to compare they don't understand that they think this is what it's always been like and they give up their freedom so easily when they go to a store and the the clerk who's their age or younger says give me your phone number or give me your email and they put them on some mailing list, and basically, to me, that's a tracking list. And I say no, and they look at me like, what? <laughs> and the uh, and, I, and I know all of the folks that are at least 30 and under are freely giving away all of their phone numbers and emails to anybody who asks them. Sure, put me on your list. I'll get you know, points, or I'll be tracked, and I'll get gift certificates. And they think because someone's giving them something that it's okay to give up. To me, that's a freedom. That's a privacy freedom. I should have the freedom to have privacy. So what you're saying really resonates with people who have to be at least 30 years old or older. Yeah,
3: and that's that's the the group of folks that That really agreed with me um, were in my same rough age category
2: and it's really sad and and I'm even I think much older than you and (laughs) I grew up in I grew up in the 70s I think about all the times that I got on my bicycle and I just said mom see you later and I had pretty strict parents I had to be until 10 o'clock till I was 18 at 10 o'clock till I was 18 Um, but I just ride off and when we lived in Georgia My brother and I would just be gone. I mean, she'd be like, come back. When the sun goes down, and as the sun goes down, we'd wander back in. She'd have no idea where we'd wander off to, how many trees we've climbed and fell out of, and (laughs) how many times we got in trouble and probably nearly killed ourselves (laughs) every day.
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's incomprehensible (laughs) to people now. I think about my kids and... (laughs) They, they, is structured. I mean, there was you know soccer practice and ballet, and there was swimming, uh-huh. and, and the parents were driving. I hated that stuff, driving the kids around, and there's and everything is specialized. A coach teaches you how to play soccer. You don't just go and kick a ball around and invent your own games. You know, there's innovation at a young age. You don't just climb in trees because of course you could fall out. You need to have helmets and all this other stuff.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
3: this. The stuff we did, I mean, we just grab BB guns and go into the woods and come back, you know, at nighttime, basically, or, you know, dusk or something like that. Yeah, nobody thought anything of it. Uh, No. We rode in the back of pickup trucks.
2: We Uh, did. My dad let me drive when I was, like, I don't know, seven (laughs) or eight years old. Drive a pickup truck. It was not a dirt road, folks. There was nobody else around. But I drove. I think I was sitting on a telephone book. I wasn't even in his lap. I drove. Driving. <laughs> it's unheard of. Now he would have been put in jail. If we got caught, he'd have been put in jail for like I don't know, ten years for child abuse. <laughs> That's
3: true. That's very true.
2: Oh my gosh, we would. Yeah, the the crazy things. Oh, anyway, those uh, you'd hate to say those were the days. <laughs> they were. All right, well let's get back on track a little bit. Why is Glenn here, folks? Glenn has written ten books, so why don't you give them a quick, 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 if it's possible, quick overview of ten books? <laughs>
3: well, it's a it's a series; they're all connected together, and yeah. it goes on chronologically in time. It's it's about me. It's not even closely thinly veiled. It's about me. Um, country boy, grew up poor and decided to go off to the city and uh, go to college and become a professional to get out of a small town and did that and thought this would be great. You know, this is the American dream. And then, um, you know, became a lawyer, married a doctor. So you think, oh, oh, geez, what could go wrong? Um, Well, realized I was kind of shallow. I call it the docker years. You know, I basically sat on the couch and watched TV and ate too much and, you know, Mm -hmm. it was horrible. And I realized around 2008 that, the American economy was extremely fragile. Uh, that was a big wake-up call for a lot of people. I think that's where most preppers probably started from, uh, is the 2008 era. Anyway, and, and realized how fragile things were and how I was dependent
0: mm-hmm. on
3: absolutely everything. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even chop wood anymore. It was horrible. I mean, I used to do that, you know, all summer long, as Dave and Alan Coe says, uh, chop wood and uh, for heating in the winter, I'm paraphrasing. You don't know, really quote David Allen, quote, not on a nice, polite, um, podcast. Anyway, so, uh, you got to paraphrase him, but anyway, I did that and lost those skills. And, um, and my wife, uh, grew up, uh, upper middle class, very comfortable and has no idea what being hungry is about. Um, the, you know, the electricity, not working, um, what bad people are like. She was never around bad people because there were no bad people where she, you know, she grew up. And, and so, she cannot understand why I'm so concerned about (laughs) looting and things like that because I understand that side of human nature because I've seen it, not full on riots or anything like that. I've just seen badness. And so um, there's that conflict. And then the, and I work in law slash politics and uh, I was seeing things uh, in my state of Washington, although everything that I talk about, I think transfers to any place in the country. And, I start noticing these things, how unsustainable things are, and uh, preparing in secret, have to hide it from my wife, Um, and do that. And then I describe how the collapse unfolds. Um, So far, pretty accurate. (laughs) And then go to my cabin, um, which is a real place, with my guys. I have a team of guys, all civilians, um, not pretending to be anything they're not, but amazing, amazing guys, phenomenal gunfighters week. Um, we had a special forces guy um take us under his wing and taught us a bunch of really cool stuff and so I described that and then the team and me and I'll leave out some of the main plot lines that my, my wife ends up coming out with the kids. Um, go to the cabin, we form up a community out there and it's all about community. This idea that you can do this on your own is is craziness. You're gonna need, you know, other people to do these things. Form up a community. Um there's there's a military aspect: uh, there are patriots fighting loyalists, and loyalists, of course, the current government. And um, the military unit um, borrows some of the people out of this uh, this faraway location, this rural area, and builds up a guerrilla unit that joins up with other units. And there's a really big fight that doesn't last too long because the loyalists are a paper tiger. They They have no support of the general population. I borrowed a lot of ideas from (laughs) Special Forces. Um, I've never been in the military, by the way. I don't want to imply that I have. Uh Um, And um, about hearts and minds and support of the population and about the side that can take care of civilians and show them that they are the decent people fighting the bad people. Mm -hmm. Those folks usually win because the population supporting you is absolutely critical, not just militarily. It's the whole purpose for fighting a war is to change things and be good and decent I mean otherwise you're just a gang of thugs so there's a big fight and I skipped you know 3,600 pages Uh, I skipped over quite a bit but that's the basic overview of it and um, it's (laughs) been extremely well received I didn't think anyone would ever read this I've never written fiction before I knew something was up when I put 10 books together and the first publisher I sent it to offered me a 10 book deal that's when I said wow this this might be pretty good um, so, yeah, that's that's how that came about. And then the uh, audiobooks came out in October of last year and have just gone off the charts and are amazing and um, best-selling audiobook uh, in genre and uh, best of 2014 list. Um, uh, so that was very cool. So the audiobooks are great. You know, that extra element that a really good narrator a new york times best-selling multiple new york times selling uh narrator brings to the story and so that has been huge so unexpected um i never thought anyone to read any of this stuff um i just wrote it to just get it out of my system um i was inspired by god actually i don't want to make it sound like it was just therapeutic on my part but I, there was no <laughs> there was no goal in mind like I'm going to be an author and I'm going to have 10 books published and they're going to do very, very well. That mm-hmm. never crossed my mind. I would have <laughs> I would have set things up differently if I thought people were actually going to
0: read these books because <laughs> I lay out a
3: ton of stuff about myself and my wife and a bunch of other things in there that, um, quite honestly, I, I wouldn't have said if I thought people were going to read it. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's so funny. Oh, so I'm so happy to hear the audiobooks are doing well. Um, now, is this just one person that reads all of the books? Have you had different people read them? And do they change their voices when they have characters?
3: Yeah, I found I learned so much about the audiobook world because another weird thing is that I don't read books because I don't have time because I'm a lawyer and stuff and I, I work all the time and raise a family. So I don't really read books, which is why these they, Books don't sound like other books you've read because I'm not copying any format. And if I don't read books, I I don't listen to audiobooks either. And I didn't know how a lot of this stuff worked. But yes, it is one narrator, then in mm-hmm. Kevin Pierce, who's amazing, and um, he he changes his voice. And uh, at first, when the first audiobook I heard a long time ago wasn't Kevin's, I thought this is kind of weird. There's there's a a man, you know, speaking like a woman. That's kind of <laughs> weird. But after about ten seconds, you get over it. And you realize it. And so he does all the voices. There are 300
0: <gasps> main character, oh characters
3: in this book. Um, and so he had to come up with different voices. I mean, the the characters you run into, you know, over and over again, there's at least 20, 25 of them.
2: Right, and, a base you know, group. But I didn't realize yeah. three. you ended up with 300 different people. Wow. Well, I guess, you know, as you go on little trips and escapades you would probably run into that many people through the course of well, 10 books that makes sense
3: well and also the, the books are about for the most part people I actually know right of course Ted real guy my team guys real guys I mean one of my team guys is a six foot Korean gunfighter who sells insurance and everyone's like oh you're so creative I'm like seriously you want to meet him I've done <laughs> that I've gone a couple times I've gone to speak places and the real pal William Kung, Pal, um, uh, will will yeah will be in the in the audience, and um, I'll sit there and I'll say and you know I, people think I made up Pal and I go there he is and he's this huge strong you know giant <laughs> Korean dude who's like this <laughs> lovable little panda bear of a guy, wow. um, but and and they sit there and they're they're amazed and it's like I I've said this before about ninety seven percent of book one is is real. And so back to the 300 named characters, I've had this amazing life and met all these amazing people from mm-hmm. all walks of life. And all these people started popping up in my mind as I was putting this huge story together. Mm-hmm. And I saw these roles for all these people and not only roles in a fictional sense,
0: uh-huh. a
3: lot of what I described in the first few books, th- these are things that have happened. People say, well, oh, the dialogue seems so real. And I say, that's because this is what we said. We had a conversation. This is what we said. Mm -hmm. And it'll really happen. So that's one of the reasons there are so many people.
2: Well, you have a good memory to actually remember conversations. A lot of people can't remember what they had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) (laughs) So you're very, very gifted in that way. And and again, because you are able to remember conversations and, and scenarios and who said what, it is probably a little bit easier process for you to put that on paper.
3: Yeah, exactly. I'd lived it for the most part.
2: Cool. Well, you would be like the old storytellers 2,000 years ago who would be passing on the stories of their grandparents and their parents and all of the things that happened because that's, that's how stories got passed on. They didn't have a lot of books. So you would have been you made an excellent storyteller.
3: Well, I hope so. And a lot of what I do with law and politics is mm-hmm. telling stories. And it was very natural. I would basically, in some of the, the dialogues and exchanges where there, there are actual debates among patriots and loyalists, it I, I could see that sort of unfolding not in a courtroom, although some of the scenes are in a makeshift courtroom. Um, and so that really helped um, in the in persuasion, in the analysis. Um, and I can instantly look at things from different sides because I have to. Sometimes I get hired by one side or another side and I have to be able to look at it so I could explain things. And it wasn't just cheesy where the, the loyalists are always the bad guys. Hey, let's go steal stuff. And the Patriots say, no, mm-hmm. stop, don't do that. That would be wrong. I mean,
0: right. that would get
3: old pretty quickly. One of the things about the story that I think makes it much more real than what I call the comic book version of, you know, good, good versus evil, and it's simplistic, their characters, one of the classic examples is Bennington, who's a police officer. Mm-hmm. And he starts off remaining on the force for a corrupt, you know, administration, and he's forced to do bad things. He doesn't really like it. And halfway through the book, he switches sides. And in the end of the book, he does some good stuff for the good guys. And see, that's what I think is going to happen because he's based on a real guy that obviously hasn't gone through these things yet. But from what I know about this guy, that's probably what he would do. And so people are complex. They might, they might switch sides. Right. People that do bad things, don't do it because they're they're necessarily evil. They do it because they think they have to, and I explain why they think they have to. And, mm-hmm. and uh, some people who do good things don't have 100% pure motives, because I think that's right. true.
2: That, oh um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it is good that you're able to see the good and bad, and it does make your characters more realistic, rather than just some you know s- uh, comic book superheroes that can do no wrong, you know, do no evil ever. Or, th- or even think something evil. Because sometimes good people are, especially in a survival situation, may have to do some bad things.
3: Exactly. And, and I'm a classic example of that because I don't come across, my character, Grant Manson, does not come across as 100% awesome all the time because that's not true. And a lot of people out there can say to themselves, man, I could be this guy. This sounds like what I would do in this situation. And there are plenty of female characters And so women, too, can say, um, wow, you know, this female character is really mean. I wouldn't do that. Or this female character is really awesome. I would be like that. Right. Um, Believability, just because I had no filter. I had no BS thing going on. It was just, it was, you know, a live stream of truth straight off my fingers through that keyboard coming out. And you can tell. I can very easily picture in my mind what's going to happen. And it's not just like, Made up stuff. It's not watching zombie movies. It's looking at history. Mm-hmm. It's it's listening to people who lived through the Russian collapse in the 90s and lived through the Argentinian collapse in 2000 2001. Right. And it's understanding that there are really bad people out there and understanding what happens when bad people and even mildly bad people realize they're not going to get caught and like what they go and do. I mean, it, it's human history. This is not some you know wild Hollywood script we're talking about here. When there's no law around and people are hungry and desperate, they do horrible things every single time. And, and no one can show me um, a place where an economy has collapsed and, and all of that where everybody, you know, acted really awesomely. Um, so given the stakes and we know all the horrible things that are going to happen, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's even more frustrating when the people you love, um, especially a spouse, don't buy into this because you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I know what could very easily happen to you.
2: Right. And this is
3: not this is not theoretical. This is probable. And you're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to let me take care of you. And, and there's a there's a gender thing involved in this, uh, if I may. Um, men, I think, are naturally inclined to want to provide for and take care of women, and it's a very good thing. And there are you're- exceptions to that. they are women.
2: But, you know, I, I know you want to be gender equality thing here, but to tell you the truth, it is usually the man's responsibility. Unless you're in a single family, a, you know, single parent home, the man, it, it's just nature. It's not that we're asking for it, but it's just, it's nature. It's man takes care of the women. It's just normal. That's the way it is. So. And
3: men are well-suited to do it. I think men yeah. are hardwired to do it. Um, men do it all over the world, and and some places they take it a little too far.
0: But yeah. the, the
3: thing about hardwiring is interesting, and this is another aspect of the, the books that mm-hmm. I think really taken up with people. Um, we live right now in America with a K in a very feminized culture. Um, you will notice that, I'll call them males, do not identify themselves as men. They say, I'm a guy, I'm a dude, I'm a... I'm a person, uh, they don't really ever say that they're a man. You don't, at least, listen, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, in Olympia, Washington, the state capital of one of the most liberal states in the country. Um, nobody yeah, we
2: call describes hippieville. themselves. It's hippieville. Hippieville. Yeah,
3: I call it Tommyville <laughs> in the book. But <laughs> <don't> people, <laughs> men, do not describe themselves as men. And I, I uh, open eyes. I'll say, you know, I'll describe myself as a man, and people Ooh. are like, And believe me, I'm not some cheesy, you know, macho guy. I'm, I'm, you know, not that at all. But we have been, men, have been told not to be men and not to act like men and that being a stereotypical man, the evil 50s kind of man, is a horrible, degrading, awful thing, and it's almost a mental illness that needs to be Mm -hmm. cleansed out of males. And we have this couple generations, actually, of these boy men, I call them, and they're they're chronologically and perhaps biologically male,
0: mm-hmm. but
3: they're not men. They're boys, and they, mm-hmm. they, they play video games all the time, and Ugh. they watch ESPN and, and eat chicken wings all the time, and they have this life of seemingly leisure, and they don't take care of their responsibilities. They don't do a lot of things. I, so it's hard to be a man in America with a K. I know that sounds like whining. I don't care if it sounds no, like it's whining. No, it's true. I'm telling you. You're it is hard
2: right. to be a man. It's true. I mean, be a man. Oh,
3: I'm I'm talking to you right now from the parking lot of where I work, and uh, I'm telling you what, this is the only pickup truck. I'm in my truck right now. This is the only pickup truck in this parking lot, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hard. So it's gut-wrenching, and, and a lot of men, and, and with me, it, it was a newly discovered thing. I was you know, I guess I was a, a young man and then I became this suburban blob quote, dude quote guy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, it's rare to actually go back to being a man. And I actually did it. It's very rare. I'm happy about it. And I'm proud of it, by the way. And so now, um, when, you know, my wife thinks that I'm crazy and she's become much better, by the way, um, <laughs> since the books came out and since, since she, it's funny, this is a great story. Um, so I, I've been prepping in secret for years. I write 10 books in secret. She had no idea. And <laughs> oh and, yeah, and so we're on vacation, and I, I just got this publishing agreement that I just signed, right? And so I realized, oh, my goodness, there's going to be some 1099s coming. I mean, you know, they're going to sell a couple books at least. And, I mean, how do I, like, explain that? Like, well, what's this miscellaneous income? Oh, royalties from a 10-book series. I mean, never mind. I mean, I, mean, I had to fess up once I got published, right? <laughs> So we're on vacation and we're at this beautiful okay. place and we're having this great time and it's nice setting and I sit down with her by this by this river and I said, "Hey, baby, guess what I did?" That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I, said uh, I said, "You know, you know that the odds of you know not being published and getting a publishing deal and getting a book published is like one in a thousand. She said, "Oh, did you do that?" And I said, "No, I got ten published." And she looks at me and she she was really excited and happy and she said, oh, what are the books about? And I said, the collapse of the United States and you're in them.
2: <laughs>
3: wow.
2: <laughs>
3: wow.
2: <laughs> That's not a bomb you want to drop so easily. I hope you had a glass of champagne for that poor woman.
3: <laughs> oh. You know or what? And I'm give,
2: at least a beer.
3: Yeah, I'm going to give her a lot of credit. Um, at first she didn't oh. take it well in all honesty, but she's She's come around, and she has, you know, I've changed on her. I mean, she married a squishy suburban, quote, male. I mean, she did, and
0: mm-hmm. and I've
3: changed on her. And we've had this conversation, and I'm going to give her a lot of credit for, um, you know, staying with a guy who fundamentally changed and then, you know, threw this bomb out. And, um now, we don't talk about it a lot. This is a topic we don't talk about much, a little bit. I think she's getting better at it. But, um, you know, I'd love to tell you that, you know, she's like a full-on homesteading kind of woman and it's Mm -hmm. it's not who she is. And and again, I changed on her and so I I don't think I can expect her to completely change over to to my side. And it works. I mean, it it works. So that's what matters. And uh, anyway, so that's one of the things. This is a book series. I don't know that anyone had ever tackled this reluctant spouse issue because everybody that wrote these things, first of all, they're like 99% male and they're all writing stuff like, you know, yeah, and then a bunch of seals came over, you know, the ridge, and I shot nine of them with like eight <laughs> rounds. And they're like doing this whole, yeah. And and my <laughs> woman does what I tell her to do and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, right.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> caveman, that's the caveman syndrome. <laughs> we want you know, just to be clear, everyone, we want you to be men, but we really don't want you to grab us by the hair and drag us away. <laughs> yeah, there's, well, there's still conversation that needs to happen. <laughs> you
3: no. Know, and that's a good point because in my world, I know I know you mean this, but being a man means being decent and honorable. It means taking care of kids. It means right. playing with kids. It means, I mean, doing all kinds of, you know, household chores. All that, to me, is very manly. I mean, I can, okay? By the way, if you ever want to pick up chicks, this is how you do it. You go to a, a store that has a lot of canning supplies,
0: uh-huh. and you
3: fill up your cart. I did this two weeks ago. You fill up your cart with canning jars and stuff,
0: uh-huh. and You know,
3: all these women are coming up to me, and they're like, you can? I said, yeah, I can. She goes, what do you can? And I go, clams from my beach. Boy, that was a really good thing to say. There you Um, go. So anyway, guys, if you want (laughs) to get chicks, start canning and, you know, it's it's a great thing. So I I didn't execute on any of that. But, um, <laughs> of was... course
2: not. But, hey, it's good to be wanted. It's nice <laughs> to, be, to still be wanted, you know. Nobody wants to feel like they've been tossed into the back of the closet. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And my husband will also attest that a, another awesome place to have women walk up to you randomly is in bookstores. So, yeah. <laughs> Cause I've yeah. dropped, I've dropped him in bookstores when I've gone and done stuff. <clears throat> He's like, oh, I talked to that one over there, and this one over here came and asked me what I was reading. You know, of course, I'm giving them the the stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't need to
3: know that. Does he, he listens to the show, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay.
2: Well, way to awesome. go! You're
3: not. <laughs> You're not very good at this, Amy.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But but I I thought I would I would share the secrets for the other men out there who are looking for a woman. It's not it's not easy to find women. I know we've strayed so far off the books. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. People need to know these things. There are lonely people out there. So you guys get some canning supplies. Go to. Um, Like Lehman's, I think, has a lot of homesteading stuff. Hang around places where where the dehydrators are sold, in Walmart, things like that. Women are attracted to men who may possibly be interested in something that is a typical, quote, woman's chore. We like that. Plus, we like intelligent men who are probably reading books. So that's where the bookstore comes in.
3: Well, and for guys out there, they can easily relate to this analogy. Guys, and this has happened to all of us, you're in a gun store, and a woman walks into a gun store. Mm-hmm. Immediately, she's like 20% hotter because she's in a gun store, and you're thinking, hey, maybe she likes the stuff that I like. Right. But women think the same thing. When I go to a, like I went to a fabric store because I needed black safety pins for the spoons for uh, stripper clips of 5.56 five, ammunition.
0: <laughs> there and you go. um
3: and I was in there, and I was looking for safety pins, and I think that the fact that there was a guy in a, in a you know, fabric store, I, I was like the chick in a gun store. And, and, you know, so go, those of you who are not married, who can actually, right. you know, execute on this, go knock yeah. yourself out.
2: I, you know, there are just a lot of lonely people, Glenn. I know you and I are both very lucky that we have, you know, our spouses, but there are a lot of really lonely people. So, you guys... I I wish you the best of luck and, you know, find some love out there. Maybe something that Glenn and I have said will help you. (laughs) All right. So, uh, gosh, you know, we're like kind of out of time. Um, Let's do uh, one more question. (sighs) Let's do what are some of the practical things that people can learn from these books? Just a a handful. of. I know there's like a billion, but, you know, just a few. Yeah.
3: The first and foremost is mental preparation, and that is often overlooked. People think of stuff. Uh, it's mental preparation. It's understanding that society can, I think, will break down and what all that means. And so you're not shocked when when people are are, you know, smashing the windows at a Walmart. It's not stunning to you. You've actually thought about it and you kinda shrug and go, Well, I think I'll, you know, go the other way to get home. You know what I mean? And so Mm
0: -hmm. that's
3: really important because if you can't accept what's going on, it's going to mess you up in every other thing you try. You're you're not going to be thinking about, you know, water purification, for example, because you're going to think, Well, why would I go to all that trouble? I mean, water always comes out of the tap. It's always good water. There's Mm no way I'm going to get cholera. That could never happen in America.
0: That kind of (laughs) thing.
3: So Mental preparation, yeah, because germs and, and bacteria and viruses and things don't, don't cross the borders of the United States, right? They stay out. So anyway,
2: um, so it's mental preparation. And there's all kinds disclaimer, of little Disclaimer, wait, disclaimer, Glenn's yes. just kidding. <laughs> Glenn is just kidding. The water is all contaminated. <laughs> I, I seek
3: fluent sarcasm, so yeah. I know, it's um, great. Yeah. Um, I love it. And there are all kinds of, of little nuggets in the books, they're woven into dialogue or into storylines. Um, several people have said to me, you know, I'm just reading along or listening along as the case may be, and to this story, and there are all these really interesting people, and then I get done with a couple chapters. I say, Did I just learn about guard duty, uh communications, uh water, all medical stuff? Did I just learn about this? And so um it's it's it's, you know, kind of wrapped in there. And and not only do you learn things like you know, how to run a guard rotation or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
3: you think about things that you then realize you need to learn about. You think about, oh, geez, I I do need a bunch of people pulling guard duty. I never really thought of that. Or And that's a pretty obvious one that probably a lot of people thought of. There are a lot of little things. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, oral hygiene, you know, like brushing your teeth and stuff like that is kind of important, right. little things like that that, yeah. that you think about. I mean, you're medically based and all that all these things that, that characters confront um, that a lot of people never really think about. And one of them that, that guys never think about and never plan for, but it's in the book and it's described, would be women and their menstrual cycles and mm-hmm. and dealing with that and, you know, preparing for that and and making people comfortable. It's, it's a manly thing. There's a great, pardon me for saying great, but there's a great um, blog piece I did once and it, it was entitled... My name's Glenn Tate and I buy tampons. And it was it was all about you know, mm-hmm. you gotta take care of this. It is it is, right. you know, a thing. So there's thinking of, of mm-hmm. topics that maybe you wouldn't have thought of is probably as important as actual knowledge about individual items. And so, books um, chalk I mean take a long time to describe all of them, but I've given some some examples and uh that's that's something I'm most proud of because besides the marital issues that I think I've helped a lot of people resolve, um, mm-hmm. some of these nuggets that are in the books, people are going to act on, they email me and tell me they're acting on them. And I don't want to sound dramatic, but it's going to save a lot of lives. What an honor. You know, you are in, a, in an even more dramatic, you know, you're a more dramatic example of that. The stuff that you guys have written will 100% save a bunch of lives and make people a lot more comfortable in- you know all that other stuff. So you understand this, but that is a great honor.
2: I I do and it um <clears throat> and it, it's I I think we have the same feeling that you have that it was we were driven and it was like a mission. It wasn't motivated by money or fame or Or any of those other things that I think a lot of people get into, you know, being actors and actresses. And, you know, some of these science fiction writers just want to be famous. And it was just purely, we have to write this book. Hopefully a couple of people will read it. If we can just possibly save one person's life, then it will have made all of this worth it. And that's really how we feel, and, and, I, and I know that's how you feel. And maybe that's why it worked, because yeah. didn't have that, oh, my gosh, we have to sell this many books, and we have to do this. No, it was like, well, if somebody buys your book, that would be, like, super amazing, but if they don't, we did our best. That's all we can say. At the end of the day, we did our best, and maybe somebody will recognize it, and that would be great. But if not, you know what? I can go to sleep and feel good about a product that we put together that that could help somebody. And I'm sure that's absolutely. how you feel. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So... Well, you guys get out and get those ten bucks because you can't just buy one. Because <laughs> you won't know what happened
0: <laughs> in
2: the end. In the end, um, you know, I could ask you some more questions about, you know, what do you think is going to happen and this and that. But you know, I think we should leave it on this really positive note. I feel good about what we've talked about. I think um, we people will be interested, and, I, and those of you that are listening. You really should take a look at these books, and I'm sure there's little snippets that you can read on Amazon, you know, like um, look through this, and it gives you a few pages to just read, just to give you a little taste of it. Um, and then if you would rather drive and not be bothered opening a book, you can get the audio books, which sounds amazing, because this guy changes his voices. <laughs> 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 so where else can they get the books uh, they're on amazon um but where else could they get them can they get uh signed copies from you? Do you sell that somewhere i don't
3: i don't really sell signed copies if um somebody has a, a book and they want me to sign it um they can send me an email um, Aww. It's gl- gl- Tate, g l e n t a t e one two three at gmail dot com which is on the website two nine nine days dot com there's a little contact form and um, I ask people to throw in, like, five bucks for the return postage, I mean, and oh, yeah. uh, I'll sign stuff, and I, I have some really cool bookmarks that uh, that I put in and stuff, and it's such a huge honor to sign a book that, I mean, every time I, I go to my P.O. box and there's a book in there to sign, I get all giddy, and I'm, like, all excited, Aww. I got my little Sharpie pen, I mean, it's, it's really cool, so, um, yeah, no, they can do that.
2: That's good. Well, I'm glad you have at least a method for them to do that because it does. people who really like a series of books or a book, they, they want the author to sign it a lot of times. So I'm glad you offer that service for people. Um, Glenn, it has been wonderful to talk to you. Is there any other way that you want to tell people to get in touch with you? You just mentioned the website. Go ahead and say that website again.
3: 299days.com.
2: 299days.com and your email was Glenn ahead.
3: Tate yeah, yeah Glenn Tate G-L-E-N T-A-T-E 1-2-3 at gmail.com okay. An- another great way to get a hold of me but really to keep updated on stuff and see all those pictures I was mentioning of those people all over the world in the I Miss America shirts and all that kind of stuff
0: uh-huh. is the
3: Facebook page which is 299days parentheses the book um, we put up Probably, I don't know, five or six posts a day.
0: That's wow. probably where
3: you saw that uh, that thing about the 4th of July, for example. Mm-hmm. And all kinds of cool stuff and cool pictures. And, I mean, it's so many people in the, you know, the 299-day world of, of readers that it's a community and it's really become a cool thing. So um, I highly recommend the Facebook page.
2: Great. All right. Well, guys, that's one way you can chat actively with Glenn, if you have any questions for him, you can put them all there also. All right. It was wonderful to talk to you. And I promise, next time we get in the Washington uh, forward slash Oregon. Did I say that right? Oregon? Oregon?
0: <laughs>
3: Oregon?
2: Oregon? <laughs> Oregon.
3: But, yeah, not Oregon. But, anyway, but some people I say know. that, I know.
2: I, I, it's so bad. My southern accent came out, and I'm like, Argon. And they're like, no, Amy, that's not how you say it.
3: Ar- Argon is an inert gas. Yeah.
2: Argon, yeah, right? <laughs> that's true. that's true. an inert gas. All right, guys. Well, uh, hopefully I will see you again soon. And um, thanks for being on. We'll have you again soon, I'm sure.
3: My absolute pleasure. Love what you guys do.
2: Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Glenn. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: And there you have it, Nurse Amy's interview with author Glenn Tate. By the way, speaking of Nurse Amy, don't forget to check out Nurse Amy's entire line of medical kits over at our store at store.doomandbloom.net. There is something there for every need and every budget, so make sure you check it out. Also, if you're going to be in the Hampton, Virginia area, we are going to be there. That's July 18th and 19th at the Emergency Preppers Expo, and we will be teaching some free lectures and also be doing a suture class. So if you're in the area, come on by and say hi.